0: International Short Stories Volume 1 American Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org International Short Stories Volume 1 American Stories Edited by William Patton Section twenty six The Chiropodist by Bayard Taylor R. Henry Bartlett was one of three gentlemen who rode from the railroad station to Moore's Hotel at Trenton Falls on the top of an omnibus, and who, having clambered down from that lofty perch under the inspection of forty pair of eyes leveled of them from the balcony, hastened to inscribe their names in the book and secure the keys of their several chambers. To no one of the three, however, was this privacy so welcome as to Mr Bartlett, who, entering his room with flushed face, nervously dismissed the servant, locked the door, and dropped into a chair with a pant of relief. Our business being entirely with him, we shall at once dismiss his two companions whom indeed we have only introduced as accessories to the principal figure and Taking our invisible seats in the opposite chair Proceed to a contemplation of his person age four perhaps five and twenty certainly not more eight five feet nine inches with well-developed breast and shoulders Limbs, whose firm, ample muscle betrays itself through the straight lines of his light summer costume and hands and feet of agreeable shape, complexion fair, the skin of feminine fineness and transparency, whereon the incredible blood writes his emotions so palpably that he who runs may read eyes of a clear, earnest blue. But so shy of meeting a steady gaze that few know how beautiful they really are mouth full and sensitive and of so rich and dewy a red that we cannot help wishing he were a woman that we might be pardoned to for kissing it Forehead broad and rather low hair But there we hesitate for his enemies would certainly call it red indeed in some lights it is red but its prevailing tint is brown with a bronze lustre on the curls as he sits thus unconscious of our observation he is certainly handsome in spite of a haunting air of timidity which weakens the expression of features not weak in themselves on further observation were inclined to believe that he has not achieved that easy pause of self-possession, which in men of becoming modesties is the result of more or less social experience, he belongs evidently to that class of awkward, honest, warm-hearted, and sensitive natures whom all men like, and some women. Mister. Bolles's reflections after his arrival were. We have good reason to know after this fashion. When will I cease to be a fool? Why couldn't I stare back at all those people on the balcony as coolly as the two fellows who sat beside me? Why couldn't I get down without missing the step and grazing my shin on the wheel? Why should I walk into the house with my head down and a million of cold little needles pricking my back because men and women, and not sheep, well, look at me. I have at least an average body as men do an average intellect too. I think Yet every day. I see spendly, brainless quirts Mr.. Barlett would not have used this epithet in conversation But it certainly passed through his mind put me to shame by their self-possession the women think me a fool because i have not the courage to be natural and unembarrassed and i carry the consciousness of the fact about me whenever i meet them come come this will never do i am a man and i ought to possess the ordinary resolution of a man now he has a chance to turn over a new leaf nobody knows me no one will notice me particularly and whether I fail or succeed the experiment will never be brought forward to my confusion hereafter Full of a sudden courage he sprang to his feet and carefully adjusted his toilet for the tea-table whistling cheerfully all the while at the sound of the gong He descended the staircase and approached the dining-room with head erect meeting the gaze of the other guests with a steadiness which resembled defiance. He was surprised to find how mechanical and transitory were the glances he encountered. As Mr. Bartlett's friend, I should not like to assert that in his efforts to appear self possessed he approached the bounds of effrontery, but I have my own private suspicions about the matter. At the table a lively conversation was carried on and he was able to take many stealthy observations of the ladies without being noticed. To his shame, I must confess that he had never been so seriously in love, though it was a condition he most earnestly desired. Attracted toward women by the instinct of his nature, and repelled by his awkward embarrassment, there seemed little chance that he would ever attain it. On this particular occasion, however, he cast his eyes around with the air of a sultan scanning his slaves before throwing the handkerchief to the chosen one. The female guest, old, young, married, single, ill-favoured, or beautiful, was subjected to the review. It is impossible to describe Mr. Bartlett's satisfaction with himself; he had passed over twenty-nine. Or Thirty-five ladies present without experiencing any special emotion But at the thirties he was suddenly attacked by a recurrence of his habitual timidity He fixed his eyes upon his toast Painfully conscious by the warmth of his ears that he was blushing violently and actually drank a third cup of tea one more than his usual allowance before he became sufficiently composed to look up again. Really there was no cause for confusion. Her face was turned away so that even the profile was not wholly visible. But the exquisite line of the forehead and cheek bent inward at the angle of the unseen eye and melting into the sweep of the neck and shoulder were the surest possible prophecies of beauty. Her chestnut hair rippled at the temple was gathered into a heavy shining knot at the back of her head and inwoven with the varnished heart shaped leaves of the smilax. More than this mr Bollard did not dare to notice. During the evening he flitted restlessly about the rooms intent on an object which he thus explained to himself. I should like to see whether a front face corresponds to the outline of a cheek. I am alone; it is too late to visit the Falls, and a whim of this sort will help me to pass the time." But the lady belonged, apparently, to a numerous party who took possession of one end of the balcony and sat in the moonlight in such a position that he could not see her features with distinctness. The face was a pure oval in a framework of superb hair and the glossy leaves of Smilax Glittered like silver in the moonlight w- whenever she chanced to turn her head There were songs and she sang scenes that are brightest or something of the kind Suggested by the influence of the night her voice was clear and sweet without much strength one of those voices which seemed to be made for singing to one ear alone. Here, by God's grace, is the one voice for me. Thought Mister Bartlett, he had just been reading the ideals of the king. He slipped off to bed, saying to himself, "A little more courage, and I be be able to make her acquaintance." In the morning, he set out to make the tour of the force, entering the glen from below. He slowly crept up the black shells of rock under and around the rush of the amber waters The naiads of Trenton waving their scarves of rainbow bread tossed their foam fringes in his face above the dryads of the pine and beech Looked down from their seats on the brink of the overhanging walls Mr.. Bartlett was neither a poet nor a painter nor was it necessary, but his temperament, as you may know from his skin and the color of his hair, was joyous and excitable, and he felt a degree of delight that made him forget his own self. I fancy there are no embarrassing conventionalism at the bottom of the earth, wherever that may be, and the glen at Trenton is 200 feet on the way Titha our friend enjoyed to the full his partial release and was surprised to find that he could assist several Married ladies to climb the slippery steps at the high pool without consciously blushing How it came to pass never could rightly tell but certain is that on lifting his eyes after a long contemplation of the shifting slides of frittered amber he found himself alone in the glen with the exception of a young lady who sat on the rocks a few paces distant at the first glance he thought it was a child for the slight form was habited in a bloomer dress and a broad hat shaded the graceful head the white trousers were gathered around her ankles and a pair of the prettiest feet he had ever seen dangle in the edge of the swift stream she was idly plucking up tufts of grass from the crevices of the rock and Tossing them in the mouth of the cataract and her face was partly turned toward him It was the fair unknown of the evening before There was no mistaking the lovely cheek and the rippled chestnut hair Mr.. Bollett felt as he afterward expressed himself a warm, sweet shadow run through all his veins, alone with that lovely creature below the outside surface of the earth. Oh, if I could but speak to her, her dress shows that she can lay aside the soulless forms of society in such a place as this. Why not I? There's Locking and Cutland and lots of fellows I know wouldn't hesitate a moment what shall I say? The scenery is fine? Pshaw! But the first sentence is the only difficulty; the rest will come of itself. What if I address her boldly as an old acquaintance, and then apologize for my mistake? Upon my word, a good idea! So natural and possible! Having determined upon this plan, he immediately put it into action before the resolve had time to cool. His step was firm and his bearing was sufficiently confident as he approached her, but when she lifted her long lashes, disclosing a pair of large, limpid, hazel her eyes, which regarded him unabashed with the transient curiosity one bestows upon a stranger, his face, I am sure, betrayed the humbug of the thing. The lady, however. Not anticipating what followed, could scarcely have remarked it. Raising his head as he reached the corner of the rock upon which she sat, he said in a voice so curiously balanced between his enforced boldness and his reflected surprise thereat that he oddly recognized it as his own: "How do you do, Miss Lawrence?" The lady looked at him wonderingly, steady, childlike eyes. That frankly and innocently perused his face as if seeking for some trace of a forgotten acquaintance Mr.. Bartlett could not withdraw his although he knew that his face was getting redder and his respiration More unsteady every moment he stammered forth Miss Lawrence of South Carolina. I believe You are mistaken sir Said the lady with the least shade of coolness in her voice, but it fell upon Mr. Bartlett like the wind from an iceberg. I am not Miss Lawrence. Um beg your pardon, he answered somewhat confusedly. You resemble I expected to meet her here. Will you please tell her? I inquired for her. Heres my card. Therewith he thrust both hands into his vest pockets extracted a card from one of them, and laid it hastily upon the rock beside her. Bertha, Bertha rang through the glen above the roar of the waterfall. The remainder of the party, which the young lady had preceded, now came into view, descending toward her. Good day, Miss Lawrence, said mister Bartlett, again lifting his hat and retracing his steps. For his life he could not have passed her and run the gauntlet of the faces of her friends upon the narrow path. Every soul of them would have instantly seen that what a fool he was. Moreover, he had achieved enough for one day. The soldier who storms a perilous bridge and finds himself alive on the inside of it could not be more astonished than he. I blundered awfully, he thought, but after all is the one way to learn Who's your friend bertha asked her brother dick Morris the avant-garde of the party? I never saw the fellow before If you had not frightened him by your sudden appearance said she you might have discovered a Southerner I suppose though It don't look like one you dressed me as miss Lawrence of South Carolina and afterwards left me with this card to be given to her. What shall I do with it? Ah the card will tell us who is, said Dick, picking it up. He instantly burst into a roar of laughter. Ah this comes a wearing a bloomer, Bertha. Though I must say it's by no means complimentary to your little feet. who suspect you of having corns? Dick, what do you mean? Ha ah, no doubt I came at the nick of time to prevent him from pulling off your shoes dick therewith she impatiently jerked the card from her brother's hand it was large thick handsomely glazed and contained the following inscription professor herbert chi- chiropodist to her majesty queen victoria and the nobility of great britain incredible she exclaimed so young and embarrassed in his manners. How could he ever have taken hold of the queen's foot? Embarrassed indeed said dick. I think he has a very cool way of procuring patience But faith is chosen a romantic operating room After climbing down these rocks the corns naturally begins to twinge and here's the professor on hand behold the march of civilization Bertha did not fall into a brother's vein of badinage, as usual. She was vexed that the fresh, manly face and blue eyes into which she had looked belonged to a charlatan, and vexed at herself for being vexed thereat. It was not so easy, however, to dismiss Professor Herbert from her mind, for Dick had related the incident to the others of the party. With his own embellishments, and numberless were the jokes to which it gave rise throughout the day. Meantime, Mr. Bartlett, in happy ignorance of the worst blunder he had ever made, returned to the hotel. The day previous, at Utica, he had been annoyed by an itinerant extractor of corns, suppressor of bunions, and regulator of irregular nails whose profit card he had put into his pocket in order to get rid of the man. It was this card which he had presented to Miss Morris as his own. On reaching the hotel he easily ascertained that a real name and place of residence, with the additional fact that the party were to leave for Saragota on the morrow. It occurred to him also that Saratoga, in the height of the season, would be well worth a visit In the evening he again happened to meet the lady on the stairs He retreated into a corner of the landing to make room for her ample skirts and catching a glance of curious interest for her hazel eyes ventured to say good evening miss Loris suddenly correcting her name in the middle Bertha in spite of the womanly dignity which he could very well summon to her aid could not suppress a fragment of gay laughter In which the supposed professor joined a slight inclination of the lovely head acknowledged this salutation the next morning miss bertha morris left with her party for saratoga and after allowing a day to intervene in order to avoid the appearance of design mr henry bartlett followed he did not admit to himself in the least that this movement was prompted by love but he was aware of an intense desire to make her acquaintance the earnestness which this desire infused into his nature gave him courage the man within him was beginning to wake and stir and a boyhood of character prolonged beyond the usual date with dropping rapidly into the irrecoverable conditions of the past. It changed that they both took quarters in the same hotel, and great was Bertha's astonishment on her first morning visit to the Congress Spring to find Professor Hulbert quietly quaffing his third glass. He looked so much like a gentleman, he was really so fresh and rosy. So genuinely masculine in comparison with the blase youths she was accustomed to see, that forgetting his occupation, she acknowledged his bow with a cordiality which provoked herself the moment afterward. Mr. Bartlett was so much encouraged by this, this recognition that he ventured to walk beside her on their return to the hotel. She, Having in the impulsive frankness and forgetfulness of her nature Returned his greeting felt bound to suffer the temporary companionship embarrassing though it was Fortunately none of her friends were in sight nor was it probable that they knew the chiropodist in any case She would be rid of him at the hotel door and would take good care to avoid him in the future ''How delightful it is here,'' says, said Mr. Bartlett, thinking more of his present position than of Saratoga in general. An inclination of the head was her only reply. ''This is my first visit,'' he added, ''and I cannot conceive of a summer society gayer or more inspiring. ''I have no doubt you will find it a very favourable place for your business,'' said Bertha maliciously recalling him to his occupation as she thought oh I hope so exclaimed the innocent Bartlett, for was not his only business in Saratoga the endeavor to make her acquaintance, and was the innotrially really in a fair way to be successful disgusting thought Berta as she suddenly turned and sprang up the steps in front of the ladies drawing-room he thinks of nothing but his horrid corn plaster, or whatever it is. I really believe he suspects that I need his services. That such a man should be so brazen a charlatan, it is monstrous. Such thoughts were not an auspicious commencement for the day, and Bertha's friends remarked that she was not in her sunniest mood. She was very careful, however. Not To speak of a meeting with the chiropodist there would have been no end to a brother's banter She was also vexed that she could not forget his honest blue eyes and the full splendid curves of his mouth Indignation she supposed was a predominant emotion But in reality there was a strong under feeling of admiration Had she been aware of it? after dinner mr Bartlett, occupying the post of observation at his window, room number thirteen forty six, seventh story, saw the Morris party, Bertha among them, enter a carriage and drive away in the direction of the lake. Half an hour later, properly attired, he mounted a handsome roan at the door of a livery stable and set off in the same direction. He was an accomplished rid rider, his legs being somewhat shorter than was required by due proportion, owing to which circumstance he appeared taller on horseback than a foot, like all horsemen, he was thoroughly self-possessed when in the saddle, and could he but have ridden into drawing-rooms and dining-rooms would have felt no trace of his customary timidity. Bertha noticed his figure afar off. Approaching the carriage on a rapid trot, but made no remark, Dick, who had a quick eye for good points both in man and beast, exclaimed, "By Jove, there's a fine pair of them! Look at the action of that roan! See how the fellow rises at the right moment without leaving his saddle. Not jumping or bumping there. Mr. Bartlett came on at a staving pace. Lifting his hat to the ladies with perfect grace as he passed, he would have blushed could he have felt a single ripple of the wave of admiration which flowed after him. Bertha alone was silent, more than ever provoked and disgusted that such a gallant outward embodiment of manhood should be connected with such disagreeable associations. Had he been anything but a chiropodist, a singular feeling of shame for his sake prevented her from betraying his personality to her friends, and it came to pass that they innocently defended the very charlatan whom they had so ridiculed in the glen at Trenton from her half disparaging observations. After all, she thought, the man may be honest in his profession, which he may look upon as simply that of a physician. A pain in the two is probably as troublesome as a pain in the head, and why should not one be cured as well as the other? A dentist, I am sure, is a very respectable person, and for my part, I would as soon operate on a corny tooth as a carious tooth. I would not have you suppose, ladies, that Miss Morris made use of such horrid expressions in her conversation. I am only putting her thoughts into my own words. Still, the conclusion to which he invariably arrived was, I wish he were anything else. That evening there was a hop at the hotel. The Morrises were enthusiastic dancers, even the widow, Bertha's mother, not disdaining a quadrille. mr Bartlett, in an elegant evening dress, his eyes sparkling with new light, was there also. In the course of the day he had encountered a Boston cousin miss Jane Heath a tall dashing girl some two or three years older than himself she was one of the few women with whom he felt entirely at ease there was an honest cousinly affection between them and he always felt relieved in society when supported by her presence now Harry said Jane as they entered the room remember the first Scottish belongs to me after that I Prove my disinterestedness by finding new partners as he led her upon the floor His eyes dropped in countering those of Berta Morris whose floating chill was settling itself to rest as she whirled out of the ranks poor Berta had she been alone she could have cried he danced as well as he rode the splendid mean fellow the handsome horrid chiropodist, well, it was all outward varnish, no doubt, if it was true that he relieved the nobility of Great Britain of their corns, he must have acquired something of the elegances of their society. But such ease and grace in dancing could not be picked up by mere imitation. It was a born gift, even a brother, Dick, who was looked upon as the highest result. A Fashionable education in such matters was no surer or lighter of foot an hour later, Bertha, who had withdrawn from the dancers and was refreshing herself with the mild night air at an open window, found herself temporarily separated from her friends. Mr. Bartlett had evidently been watching for such an opportunity for he presently disengaged himself from the crowd and approached her. You're fond of dancing, Miss Morris, said he. Yes, she answered, hesitatingly, divided between her determination to repair his effrontery and her inability to do so. She turned partly away and gazed steadily into the moonshine. Mr Bartlett, however, was not to be discouraged. Still even the most agreeable exercise will fatigue at last he remarked oh said Bertha rather sharply Suspecting a professional meaning in his words my feet are perfectly sound I assure you, sir It is not to be denied that he was a little surprised at the earnestness of an assertion which in a playful tone, would not have seemed out of place I think you proved that at Trenton Fall, he rejoined. But will you grant me the pleasure of another test during the next goodwill No further test is necessary, sir. I presume you have patience enough already. And having uttered these words as coolly as her indignation allowed, Bertha moved away from the window. Patience? said mr Bartlett to himself, wholly misapprehending her meaning. Yes, I shall have patience while there is a chance to hope but why did she speak of patience? Women I have heard are natural Diplomatists and have a thousand indirect ways of saying things which they do not wish to speak outright Could she mean to test the sincerity of my wish to know her it is not to be expected that a stranger so awkwardly introduced should be received without hesitation Mistress, perhaps no. No. I must persevere. She would despise me if I did not understand her meaning The following days were cold and rainy There was an end of the gay outdoor life which offered him so many chances of meeting miss Morris and the fleeting Glimpses he caught of her in the great dining hall or the passage leading to the ladies parlor were simply tantalizing I have no doubt there was a mute appeal in his eyes, which much must have troubled the young lady's conscience. For she, avoiding meeting his gaze, the knowledge of his presence made her uneasy. There was an atmosphere about the hotel which she would willingly have escaped. She walked with the consciousness of an eye everywhere following her, and, in spite of herself, furtively sought for it. We. Who are aware of her mystification, may be amused at it, but imagine yourselves in the same situation, ladies, and you will appreciate its horrors. No, this was not longer to be endured, and so, after five or six days at Saratoga, the party suddenly left for Niagara. Bertha, an only daughter, was a petted child. And might have had her own way much oftener than was really the case. The principal use she made of her privilege was to follow the bent of a remarkably free, joyous, and confiding nature. She was just unconventional enough to preserve an individuality and thereby distinguish herself from thousands of girls who seemed to have been cut out by a single pattern the sphere within which true womanhood moves is much wider than most women suspect to the frank honest and pure nature What are called the bands of propriety are its natural horizon ring? moving with it and enclosing it everywhere without restraining its freedom We shall not be surprised to find that shortly after miss Morris's departure room number 1346 in the Catanational Hotel had another tenant. mister Bartlett followed as a matter of course. He began nevertheless to feel very much like a fool and, as he afterward confessed, spent most of the time between Utica and the suspension bridge in deliberating whether he should seek or avoid an interview. As if such discussions with oneself ever amounted to anything. Ascertaining the lady's presence he decided to devote his first day to niagara Trusting the rest to chance in fact he could not have done a more sensible thing For there is a special chance appointed for such cases the forenoon was not over before he experienced its operations Bertha cloaked and cowled in India rubber stood in the and the hurricane deck of the maid of the mist as the venturesome little steamer approached the corner of the Horseshoe Full. Looking up through blinding spray of the shimmer of emerald and dazzling silver against the sky, she crept near a broad shouldered figure to shelter herself from the stormy gusts of the fall. Suddenly the boat wheeled at the very edge of a tremendous sheet and swirled away from the vortex with a heave which threw her off a of fit. She didn't fall, however, for strong arms caught her waist and steadied her until the motion subsided. Through the rush of the spray and the roar of the fall, she indistinctly heard a voice apologizing for the unceremonious way in which the arms had seized her. She did not speak, fearful, in fact, of having a mouth filled with water, but frankly gave the gentleman her hand. The monkish figure bowed low over the wet fingers and respectfully withdrew. As the mist cleared away, she encountered familiar eyes. Was it possible? The chiropodist. This discovery gave Berta no little uneasiness. A subtle instinct told her that he had followed her on her account in spite of her cornless feet. Perhaps he had left a lucrative practice at Saratoga, and why? There was but one answer to the question, and she blushed painfully as she admitted its possibility. What was to be done? She would tell her brother; but no, young men are so rash and violent. Avoid him? That was difficult and embarrassing. Ignore him? Yes, as much as possible, and if necessary, frankly tell him that she could not accept his acquaintance on the whole this course seemed best though an involuntary sympathy with her victim made her wish that it were all over in the afternoon mr. Morris as usual took a summer siesta dick had found a friend and was whirling somewhere behind a pair of fast horses and finally verta bored by the society in the ladies' parlour, took her hat and a book and walked over to Goat Island. She made the circuit of its forests and flashing water views, and finally selected a shady seat on its western side, whence she could look out on the filmy stairs of the rapids. The unnecessary book lay in her lap, a more wonderful book than any printed volume lay open before her. Who shall dare to interpret the dead dream of a maiden, soothed by the mellow roar of the waters, fascinated by the momentary leaps of spray from the fluted, shell-shaped hollows of the descending waves, and freshened by the wind that blew from the cold Canadian shore? She nursed her wild weeds of fancy till they blossomed into brighter than garden flowers. Meanwhile. A thunder cloud rose dark and swift in the West the menaces of its coming were unheard and Bertha was first recalled to consciousness by the sudden blast of cool wind that precedes the ram When she looked up the great depth of storm already arched high over the Canadian woods and big drops began to wrap on the shingly bank below her a little further down was a summer-house open to the west it is true but it offered the only chance of shelter within view she had barely reached it before a heavy peal of thunder shattered the bolts of the rain and it rushed down in an overwhelming flood mounted on the bench and crouched in the least exposed corner she was endeavouring but with but partial success, to shelter herself from the driving flood, when a man coming from the opposite end of the island rushed up at full speed, here he panted, "Miss Morris, take this umbrella. I saw you at a distance and made haste to reach you. I hope you are not wet." The spacious umbrella was instantly clapped over her, and the inevitable chiropodist Placed himself in in front to steady it, fully exposed to the rain. Bertha was not proof against this gallant self-sacrifice. In the surprise of the storm, the roar of which mingled with that of the fool made a continuous awful peal. The companionship of any human being was a relief, and she felt grateful for Professor Albert's arrival. Chiropodis though he was. You must not suffer from her sake, here said she, lifting the umbrella. It will shelter us both quick. I insist upon it, seeing that he hesitate. There was really no time for parley for every drop pursed him to the skin, and the next moment found him planted before her interposing a double shield. His tender anxiety for her sake quite softened Bertha. How ungrateful she had been. This is the second time I'm obliged to you today, sir, said she. I'm sorry that I have unintentionally given you trouble. Oh, Miss Morris, cried the delighted butlet, don't mention it. It's nothing. I'm quite amphibious, you know. You might be now in a place of shelter, but for me, she answered penitently. "I'd rather be here than anywhere else," he exclaimed, in a burst of candour which quite overleaps the barrier of self possession and came down on the other side. "If you would allow me to be your friend, Miss Morris-if you would permit me to-to speak with you now and then-if-if-" if. Here he paused, not knowing precisely what more to say, yet feeling that he had already said enough to make his meaning clear. Bertha was cruelly embarrassed but only for a moment professor albert had at least been frank and honest in his world she felt his sincerity through and through and he deserved equal honesty at her hands i am your debtor in an uncertain voice and you have a right to expect gratitude at least from me i cannot therefore refuse your acquaintance though as you know your your occupation would be considered objectionable by many persons my occupation your profession then i must candidly confess that i have a prejudice a foolish one perhaps against it my profession cried the astonished Bartlett why have none well it is scarcely to be called a profession but it is always liable to the charge of charlatanism Pardon me the word and it may be a ridicule in so many ways I wish for your sake for I believe you to be capable of better things that you would adopt some other business Mr.. Bartlett's amazement was now beyond all bounds Good heavens He exclaimed miss Morris. What do you mean? Starting up from the bench as he uttered these words he just jostled Bertha's book from her hand the leaves parted and falling and a large card escaping from between them fluttered down upon the floor he picked it up and restored it to her with the book there she answered giving the card back again there is-there is what i mean must i give you your own card in order to acquaint you with your own business mr bartlett looked at it for a second in blank amazement then like a flash of lightning the whole course of the misunderstanding flashed across his mind he burst i am ashamed to say into a tremendous paroxysm of mingled tears and laughter were he not so strong and masculine a man i should say hysterics invade his struggle to find words at every attempt a fresh convulsion of laughter seized him and tears mingled with rain flowed down his cheeks Bertha began to be alarmed at this strange and unexpected convulsion. Professor Herbert, she had said, "What's the matter?" Professor Herbert, he repeated in a faint, scarcely audible scream. Then, striving to suppress his uncontrollable fit of delight and comical surprise, he sank upon the bench at her feet, shaking from head to foot with the effort. Ah ha, ha, He at last panted forth as if eaving a atlas load from his heart, and stood erect before her. With with his face still flushed and eyes sparkling, he was as handsome an embodiment of youth and life as one could wish to see. In two words, he explained to her the mistake, on learning which Berta blushed deeply, saying, "How could I ever have supposed it?" and then, Reflecting upon the inferences which could be drawn from such an expression, became suddenly shy and silent. Of course, she accepted Mr. Bartlett's escort to the hotel when the rain was over, and he was presented to the agonized mother, who hailed him as a deliverer of her daughter from untold dangers, and privately remarked afterward to the latter, "Upon my word, a very nice young man, my dear." Dick's commendation was no less emphatic, though so differently expressed. A good fellow! Well made in the shoulders and flanks! Fine action! But wants a little training! By this time, ladies, you have probably guessed the conclusion. My story would neither be agreeable nor true. I am relating facts if they were not married and did not have two children and live happy ever after. Married they were in the course of time and happy they also are, for I visit them now and then. One thing I had nearly forgotten when Mrs. Bartlett chooses to tease her husband in that playful way, so delightful to married lovers, she invariably calls him Professor Halbert, while he retorts with Miss Lawrence of South Carolina. Moreover, in Mrs. Bartlett's confedition little boudoir over a work stand hangs a neatly framed card, whereon you may read professor Halbert chiropodist to her majesty queen victoria and the nobility of great britain end of section twenty six